It is an atomic bomb. It is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws its power has been loosed against those who brought war to the Far East. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent, and I'm so happy you're here. This podcast has become such a labor of love, and I appreciate that people are listening. WCBE is an NPR member station in Columbus, Ohio, which means not only can you listen to the podcast on their website, wcbe.org, but you can listen via the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do me a favor, help support me and this podcast by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon. You don't even have to go check out all the cool bonus content I post there. You never have to visit after you sign up if you don't want to. If you just want to support this project and keep learning new things every week, give a dollar a month. It's $12 a year, and that's like two drinks at Starbucks. You can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent, and everyone that supports the Patreon gets a welcome kit in the mail with stickers. You guys, stickers. Uh, Now, this week's topic comes to us from Josh. Yeah, hey, Michael. This is Josh here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, First-time caller, long-time listener, huge fan. I recently read about a Japanese man who was in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki while the American atomic bombs were dropped. That's crazy. I thought it might make a good story for the podcast. What do you think? Uh, Thank you, Josh. I had never heard this. What an incredible story. I spent the week looking into it, and gosh, I found out a lot, not just about this man in particular, but about the bombings themselves. So we're going to start telling this story by visiting Hiroshima in 2016. Seventy-one years ago, on a bright, cloudless morning, death fell from the sky and the world was changed. A flash of light and a wall of fire destroyed a city and demonstrated that mankind possessed the means to destroy itself. When President Obama said those words in May of 2016 at the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park, it was historic because he was the first sitting U.S. president to visit Hiroshima. Of course, he was criticized by many on the right. They called it part of his, quote, apology tour. So I saw he's in Japan, in Hiroshima, and that's fine. Just as long as he doesn't apologize, it's absolutely fine. Who cares? Who cares? Words from the man who would go on to become president. But Obama didn't apologize. He acknowledged that the bombing changed the world, but he refused to apologize for the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which killed at least 200,000 people in Japan. No president has apologized. The rationale that the bombings were necessary to prevent the further devastation of war in the Pacific has merit and can be argued to the end of time, but that's not for this podcast. By the summer of 1945, war in Europe was over. Germany had surrendered in May and Hitler was dead. Troops were coming home. But in the Pacific, war raged on into its fourth year. Out of the 1.25 million total American battle casualties in World War II, almost one million of them 
had occurred just in that last year. By 1945, the Allies were winning in the Pacific, but it was coming at a huge cost. American forces were bombing mainland Japan, but had a plan to invade in October. It was estimated that an American invasion would result in up to 10 million Japanese deaths and 4 million American deaths. The firebombing of Tokyo and other Japanese cities was killing tens of thousands of people. But a special weapon was being developed that could possibly prevent the need for a land invasion. In July of 1945, the United States detonated the very first atomic bomb in what was called the Trinity Test on the Alamogordo Test Range in the deserts of New Mexico. This was the beginning of the nuclear age. And this part is shocking. It was only three weeks later that this new experimental weapon was detonated above the city of Hiroshima. Three days later came the bombing of Nagasaki. They were the first, and to this day, the last use of any nuclear weapons in war. For three years leading up to the Trinity Test, the Manhattan Project, a top-secret team of scientists, worked on developing the weapon. They were racing what they thought was Germany's effort to also develop nuclear weapons. J. Robert Oppenheimer was the director of the program. He is credited as being the father of the atomic bomb. American military planners chose the targets of Nagasaki and Hiroshima because they were large cities that had been otherwise untouched by the bombing of Japan. Because of this, the effects of the single bomb would be seen by everyone in sort of a psychological warfare that made it clear what this one single weapon could do. At the time, it was argued that these cities also had factories helping the war effort. But at least for Hiroshima, history has proven this largely untrue. In the months leading up to the bombings of Japan, leaflets had been dropped by U.S. planes warning cities of impending attack. In some of Japan's larger cities, this resulted in citizens leaving the cities to protect themselves. Reports vary on whether or not Hiroshima was one of the cities to receive these leaflets, but it's certain that it wasn't on the most recent leaflet-dropping sortie, which took place on July 27, 1945. At 8.15 on the morning of August 6th, pilot Paul Tibbetts and his 12-man crew flew their B-29, the Enola Gay, over the city of Hiroshima and released the atomic bomb, nicknamed Little Boy. It detonated 1,900 feet above the city. At least 70,000 Japanese citizens were killed instantly. 4.7 square miles of the city were leveled. 90% of the doctors in Hiroshima were killed by the blast. President Truman announced the weapon to the world. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many-fold, and the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. In their present form, these bombs are now in production, and even more powerful farms are in development. After assessing the damage and confirming that it was indeed a nuclear bomb that had been detonated, the Japanese Navy concluded that they would hold out for future blasts since the amount of these types of rare bombs had to be limited. 
Since there was no sign of Japan surrendering, American generals decided to move forward with a second bombing. Nagasaki was an important port city with a lot of Japanese industry, but aside from these factories, the bulk of Nagasaki buildings were old-style construction made of wood. Pilot Paul Sweeney commanded the B-29 boxcar, which would drop a bomb named Fat Man, which was a more complex design than the bomb dropped three days earlier. It was a similar weight, but provided a larger explosion. Where Little Boy had used 64 kilograms of enriched uranium to produce a 15 kiloton blast, Fat Man used 6.4 kilograms of plutonium to produce a 21 kiloton blast. The Enola Gay was on the mission as well as a weather recon plane. When the Fat Man bomb was dropped at 11.02 a.m., at least 40,000 people were killed. Inside the Mitsubishi headquarters, 6,200 employees were killed. Inside that plant was a man named Tsutomu Yamaguchi, and it was the second time in three days that he had personally experienced an atomic bomb. I'll share more about Yamaguchi after the break. I've been traveling again lately, and that means I've been wearing my Scotty Vest jacket, which is awesome for anyone who sort of lives life on the go like I do. It's been awesome for traveling around because it's got tons of pockets for all my gadgets, my phone, my glasses, my wallet, my charging cord, you name it. It's a clothing company I believe in, and I'm confident they've got an article of clothing that you'll love. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. To get 15% off your order, visit the link in the show notes. Everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts forever. And if you want to enjoy life, you've got to take a leap and live in the moment. One Week Tees is a new t-shirt company that takes that idea to heart. Every week they release a fun new design on a t-shirt, then they permanently retire it after one week. If you don't jump on it, you miss out on it forever. So in effect, every t-shirt they sell is limited edition. At noon every Monday, the new design gets released and the old one goes away. It's a pretty great idea, especially if you want to have a shirt that you can almost guarantee no one else will have. Check out One Week Tees on Facebook and Instagram to see their new design each week. It's the number one week tease. Or check out their website at oneweektees.com. And because you listen to this podcast, use the promo code INTERNET to get 10% off your order. The link is in the show notes. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. Let's get back to the story. Tsutomu Yamaguchi dove to the ground and covered his eyes and ears. He had seen the airplane in the air as a silvery speck and two small parachutes dropped from its Bombay doors. He knew an explosion was coming. He was a 28-year-old engineer working for Mitsubishi designing tankers. 
While he lived in the city of Nagasaki, he had been staying in Hiroshima for three months working on this tanker project and had just completed the design of the new ship. He actually had left the Mitsubishi factory that day and was on his way to the train station when he realized he had forgotten the special stamp he needed for travel. So he returned to the office to get it and he was on his way back to the office when he saw the Enola Gay in the sky. And when the bomb detonated, the world around him was bathed in white light. He was blown into the air and came crashing down, knocking him unconscious. When he came to, his eardrums had been ruptured. He was temporarily blinded, and the left side and upper part of his body were badly burned from radiation. His forearms were bright red, having been exposed by his rolled-up sleeves. He had only been a mile and a half from ground zero. Yamaguchi took some time to collect himself and regain his eyesight before heading into the office. It was gone. He turned around and headed back to his original destination, the train station, but the bridge to the station was gone. He crossed the river on a downed beam after witnessing what he described as a logjam of corpses. He spent the night in a shelter and was surprised to find that trains were still running to depart the city the next day. He crammed on a train to his hometown of Nagasaki. When he got there, he was treated for his burns and bandaged up. Remarkably, he showed up to work at the Mitsubishi plant in Nagasaki, bandaged and still suffering from his burns on August 9th. He had spent the last two days suffering from radiation sickness, anemia, vomiting, and internal bleeding, but he showed up for work and he told his boss about what he had seen. The following quote is published in Sam Keen's book, The Violinist's Thumb, from Bayback Books, and describes that conversation between Tsutomu Yamaguchi and his boss. You're an engineer, he barked, calculated. How could one bomb destroy a whole city? Famous last words. At that moment, a white light swelled inside the room. Heat prickled Yamaguchi's skin, and he hit the deck of the ship engineering office. I thought, he later recalled, the mushroom cloud followed me home from Hiroshima. Tsutomu Yamaguchi had just experienced being underneath his second atomic bomb detonation in three days. Luckily, he was uninjured from the second explosion. But as I stated earlier, more than 6,000 deaths occurred at the Mitsubishi plant that day. Researchers in Japan have estimated that anywhere from 70 to 150 citizens had traveled from one city to another and experienced both bomb blasts. They were called Niju Hibakusha, or Double Explosion-Affected People. Yamaguchi was the only one to be formally recognized as having lived through both. Most of the approximately 200,000 people who died from these bombs were killed immediately. Others died days or months or years later. Remarkably, Tsutomu Yamaguchi lived a long life after August of 1945. He and his wife had three children who were born unaffected from the radiation their parents had experienced. However, all three went on to experience various health issues that they blame on their parents' radiation exposure. Their son died at the age of 58 from cancer. Yamaguchi's wife died after battling several types of cancer at the age of 88, and while she lived a long life, those cancers were likely the effect of her exposure to radioactive fallout during the bombings in her early life. And Sutomo, he lived to be 92. He went on to be healthy most of his life despite permanent hearing loss in one ear. 
Later in his life, the ailments he faced were results of the extreme levels of radiation he suffered in 1945, including eye problems and acute leukemia. During his life, Yamaguchi wrote several books, including a book of poetry, and participated in a documentary about people who had survived the atomic bombs. At the screening of the film, he spoke out against nuclear weapons. He also spoke against the proliferation of nuclear weapons in front of the United Nations in 2006. He said, quote, The reason that I hate the atomic bomb is because of what it does to the dignity of human beings. I can't understand why the world cannot understand the agony of nuclear bombs. How can they keep developing these weapons? End quote. To this day, no American president has apologized for the use of these bombs. Out of the 90 crewmen involved with the two missions, only one, a man named Claude Etherly, has expressed guilt. In his case, it drove him crazy, causing a life of crime after the war. Paul Tibbetts, pilot of the Enola Gay, never expressed remorse. Have you ever had any regrets or any psychological problems as a result of this, or suffered any guilt feelings? You feel that what you did was right? You, had a, you got a lot of flack over that, didn't you? <laughs> Yes, after the fact, there was quite a bit, and this was a, basically a result of Russian propaganda, mm -hmm. uh, who took the position that nobody but a crazy man would, would do that for any country. Now, with that situation, uh, I am supposed to have lost sleep over what I did, have a certain amount of morose and, mm -hmm. and so forth, and I can assure you I've never lost a night's sleep on the deal. Another person to express regret was the very man who was the director of the Manhattan Project, J.R. Oppenheimer, and he spent the rest of his life working for nuclear disarmament. In 1965, Oppenheimer was asked on a television show to reflect on his first time seeing that atomic bomb at the Trinity test in the desert. We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried, most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him, takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. The memory of those awful weapons were carried to millions during the lifetime of Tsutomu Yamaguchi. He was able to convey to future generations firsthand the ugliness of these weapons. I'll leave you with more of the words from President Obama in 2016, spoken in Hiroshima, Japan. He speaks directly about the Hibakusha, the bomb affected people. Someday, the voices of the Hibakusha will no longer be with us to bear witness. But the memory of the morning of August 6, 1945, must never fade. That memory allows us to fight complacency. It fuels our moral imagination. It allows us to change.
Well, now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling my friend comedian Dan Wilbur. Hello. Hey, Dan Wilbur. How, how have you been, man? Oh, good. You're moving. so I'm in the middle of a move, and I, you know what? I said, I called someone, I said, you're going to set up my Verizon today. I screamed at him just so you, I could do like, this podcast. I have a I very said, important You get over podcast. here and you set up that Verizon. I'm a guest on a podcast. And so I'm sitting in a chair in the middle of an empty room full of boxes. Hey, you know what? It's good, though. You moved You moved out of the city onto the island. You yep. have a little bit more space to spread your wings and fly. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell... I know you didn't ask, but the number one thing that some people have said to me is, uh, why did you move here? That's fun <laughs> and nice. All the neighbors. Everybody from Long Island is from here. And they don't leave. Okay. And they go into the city when they want and they stay because they know they got it made. I finagled my way in. So they they can't understand the concept of someone living in the city and wanting to leave the city. Yes. That's yes. that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. And and you know, to be honest, neither can I. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, there's obviously a reason you left, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, let's uh, the G let's, train. The G train. That was it. Is that, <laughs> let's get this guy going here. Um, you don't know what the topic is about, and uh, nope. for the first question, we're going to play for a joke. If you get it right, I have to tell a joke. If you get it wrong, you have to tell me one. That's how this works. Uh, here is your first question, Dan. A Japanese man named Sotumo Yamaguchi was famous for being present during what two events? A the assassinations of both William McKinley and John F. Kennedy, B, the first and last live episodes of America's Got Talent, or C, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki? All right, I'm going to go with C, and I'm sorry. Nothing to be sorry for. You are correct. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, All so... Right. Yeah, he uh, he was working for Mitsubishi in the city of Hiroshima, but he was from Nagasaki. So he was working. Um, he was there during the first bomb and then traveled home, miraculously got home uh, the next day from Hiroshima, was in Nagasaki, went to work. And while he was explaining it to his boss, the second bomb was dropped and he lived through both, lived to be 92 wow. years old. It's like this lady I, I found out about who uh, lived in the apartment that this, <laughs> she lived in this New York apartment that a plane had crashed into. It was a little before 9-11 that this, this baseball player crashed into an apartment building what? with a plane. It's a famous story, and I don't know the baseball player's name. Uh, he crashed in the building. A couple months later, the same woman who lived in that apartment was at the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade, Macy's Day Parade, and Garfield collapsed and fell on her. Oh. She was the only person under it. Which was more traumatic, I wonder? I bet Garfield. You don't want to have... Was the baseball player's name Garfield? I don't think she was that home. would be a whole Kennedy-Lincoln thing that we yeah, have I bet on there's. There. I bet if you add up some numbers in the name, <laughs> it adds up to... That's crazy. A, white flag operation that's what it spells out it's an unlucky woman i i did an episode on this podcast a long time ago about this guy who was struck by lightning like seven different times in his life yeah that's yeah some people i guess yeah. are just unlucky and this man i don't know whether you can say he's unlucky or lucky the fact that he didn't die 
and he lived a nice long life is uh that's pretty crazy yeah considering uh the the damage that those bombs did so you got that one right i owe you a joke here's your joke i was at a sophisticated dinner party the other day when i farted loudly one of the guests was appalled and said indignantly how dare you fart in front of my wife i said i'm sorry i didn't realize it was her turn good stuff good stuff right good stuff yeah that's you know, normally I like the riddle style joke for this, but I figured I'd do a little story joke instead. No, that's so nice. I that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. I just, I don't, um, I don't think I'd ever get mad at someone farting in front of me or my wife. I would you get mad at your wife for farting at a fancy dinner party? No, I would only get mad if it was clearly something sexualized and someone farted. <laughs> like <laughs> what? Like the same one? You know what I mean? Like if if someone started like under the table snapping photos of my wife's feet or something and i was like what are you doing and then you know something disgusting well that has nothing to so, do with farting no i know but i'm saying like if somebody farted at a dinner party and then was clearly aroused by it i'd be oh, upset that's oh. what i'm saying if they, and you if, know what it was a big leap and so i understand why so you didn't know you're at a fancy dinner about. party your wife farts and then one of the guests says please do that again yes now, now that's what i mean i don't want that Get out of here. But otherwise, it's just, you know, come on. It's really strange. Eating. To, it's really strange that your brain just took farting to a sexual place when that wasn't <laughs> warranted at, at all. I've had a long, long discussions with comics about how everything is dirty now because we haven't been in polite society for so long. Yeah. I only see people like when I see my friends, it's a distinct choice. You know, every other time I'm just alone. Can with I my just thoughts. can I just say if the family of satsumo yamaguchi is for some reason listening to this podcast that i apologize uh i knew that i was getting myself in trouble by having a serious subject and inviting a, a, a comedian on at the end <laughs> and doing a comedy style quiz i always get myself in this trouble where it's a serious topic and then it just goes downhill quickly when i when i get to the the quiz because that's what i'm asking for yeah you gotta warn me that, i'll well, come in and be somber no i don't want that. i'll come in and be sad you're here to i was the sad mood. all morning i don't know what i'm doing here <laughs> You're a, I could have you're just a professional turned it up. comedian. You spend much of your life in a sad state. I yeah. know, you know, this is what the this part of the podcast is for is to lighten the mood. Um, it is a serious topic, of course, but uh, you know, we can have quiz questions about this. So for question two, we're playing for a story about a bad gig. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me about a bad gig. And if you get it right, I'll tell you what I'm Purposefully get it wrong so I can <laughs> so vent can. my frustrations. <laughs> well, that adds to our sad, uh, as long as you don't say, man, that gig was as bad as Hiroshima or something like that, <laughs> then like, we'll be okay. I'd do it. Okay. If they were like, we're on DEFCON 1 and the, the nukes are going to drop at any point. I'd be like, yeah, but I got a spot. I got a seven minute our comedy deal. club. Yeah. So go as, on long as, 2 get, as long as the bridges aren't closed before <laughs> 11, I... I should be good. Right. All right. The nickname for the bomb that was used to attack Nagasaki was Fat Man. Which one of these films was the name taken from? A, The Maltese Falcon. B, Citizen Kane. Or C, Casablanca. Okay, wait. I just want to be clear. The name is Fat Man, which I knew, and I was very excited because I thought this was a true or false and you're just gonna be like is that true and i'd be like yes it is true okay you got the and you're saying the question right from a acknowledging the, the question so there's a movie where the fat man is mentioned and they were like that's going to be the name of the bomb that's correct all right for starters um 
Okay, there is a fat man at the Parrot in Casablanca. I don't think there's anyone in Citizen Kane, but the fat man sounds like a very noir thing. Like the Thin Man is a noir series. So I'm going to go with A, uh, that the fat man is in the Maltese Falcon. That's a great guess. You are correct. The Maltese Falcon... Uh, which is the only of those three that I haven't seen. I, I, I'm f- very familiar with Citizen Kane. I, I took an entire quarter of, of studying Citizen Kane in college. Uh, and in the movie, The Maltese Falcon, Fat Man is a nickname for Sidney Greenstreet's character, Casper Gutman. Now, so, did Sidney Greenstreet also play the fat guy in Casablanca? I, I, I believe don't, he did. I, I don't know. We'll have to look Come that on. up. Let me ask you also, some trivia it's questions. Orson Welles' pseudonym. In uh, and that was also Charles Kane, so yes, the uh, fat man. So do you have a? Well, you got it right, so you don't have to tell me about a bag of gig, but you can, you can. Let well, me tell you about I'll one tell of you, mine first. Yeah, you go ahead first. I was I was performing for a very large gas company, um, a petrol company. For those of you listening in in the UK, uh, yeah. So it was an outdoor show at their corporate headquarters, which is here in Ohio, and I was outside in like. I don't know. It's probably 97 degrees and humid. And I had just, I was dating my wife at the time. We weren't married. She was there with me watching me do a show. And I made it through a halfway through the show and passed out from the heat. Woo. Uh, I didn't pass out on stage. I knew I was going to pass out. I stepped to the side of the stage, off the stage, and passed out. And I didn't continue the show. The show was over at that point. And they got me water and they were super cool and they still paid me. But so that wasn't a bad gig in terms of like the gig mm-hmm. wasn't bad. I was bad. Yeah. In, in yeah, terms you of should have hydration. You should have gotten up from your heat stroke and <laughs> finished it. Yeah. Now, did they think it was a bit? Uh, they probably did, but ha- I'll be honest. Look, it was like an outdoor carnival for the corporate employees. They hardly cared. Yeah, well, they'd be like, "This next magic trick, I will remove all the water from my body." <laughs> yes, yeah, that was the yeah. pre-show bit that I did. I was just apparently very, very dehydrated. Did you have any bad gigs that come came to mind when I said that? Well, I just had a gig where I'm going to say I was at 50%, which is still failing, right? Because isn't a D minus still like 61%? In, well, I, I'm, the, my question is 50% in terms of what? In terms of performance? In terms in tr- of In sober? terms of which jokes worked. <laughs> okay, okay. So gotcha. maybe they were smiling, but I did a big old gig in a tiny town. We don't need to mention where it was. And the only thing I can say is that, like, I did fine. Uh, they, they came up to me afterwards. I had this discussion with comics where I was like, I was really beating myself up because I was like, they're never going to book me again. They hated me. I was so bad. I did 40 minutes of clean material, which is a bit of a stretch for me. And when I got off stage, they were all very sweet to me. They were like, that was great. That was the best we've ever seen. And I was like, you guys have never seen comedy then because that was the worst <laughs> thing. I didn't say that to them. I was like, thank you. Here's where you can send the check. But what I do remember is being on stage about a half hour in, feeling like I was bombing. And I said, is there a good place to get a drink after this? Biggest laugh of the night. Uh, Because (laughs) the town is so small. There is, in fact, nowhere to get a drink at uh, 9.30 p.m. So is that uh, what they were laughing at? Or were they laughing at your acknowledgement of the show not going that well? No, I said, so well, well maybe they were laughing <laughs> sarcastically. No, I don't think they, they picked up on that. I said, like, what's a good place to get a drink around here? And they cackled. They cackled. Because, and then when I said what? And they were like, nowhere. 
there's nothing. There's nothing fun here. Leave. <laughs> and then uh, afterwards, I asked this couple. I was hanging out outside. And I was like, and how did you guys meet? And they said McDonald's. So mm. that's the kind of town. Mm. Not a bad gig. Yeah. Just, I felt uh, I felt at the end of it that everything had gone wrong. But they, hey, personally. you know, and that's the, sometimes you feel that way, but they love it. But the client is absolutely yeah. super, super happy with it. And uh, that's part of this job, I guess. Is that Yeah, I mean, I guess it's nice to, to know that I was the most fun thing happening in town that night. Yeah. It's they a different were like frame of not enjoying them. themselves, but they were like, this is better than just sitting at home. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I really enjoyed that. And then you say, yeah, well, you should have told your face because you, <laughs> you think the entire time think that you were bombing. All right. Oh, well, you're two for two. Let's go to question three for this question. We're playing for a coveted. The Internet says it's true sticker. Uh, these Woo. are extremely hard to come by, except for I give them to everyone. The term Hiroshima shadows refers to which one of these things? Ugh. A. Oh, no. The shadows of people and objects that were permanently left behind on the ground as the light from the bomb bleached the area around them. B. The widows of those killed in the bombing. Or C. The ghosts of people killed in the bombing that still haunt the downtown Hiroshima area to this day. I believe it is A. Which... Or, or I'm remembering, misremembering Pompeii, the shadows of well, people. You are correct. It is a uh, Pompeii, slightly different. Um, so I've I've visited Pompeii, and that's an interesting thing. So in Pompeii, what it was was they may have had there may be shadow, but it wasn't a flash like that in Pompeii. Uh, it was volcanic ash that buried the people and burnt them. And right. so in that ash, when it hardened, there were voids in the shape of the people. So they poured ca uh, like plaster casts down in the voids. And so they have these um, essentially plaster casts of people in the exact position they died that are actually right. on display in Pompeii, which is crazy. Right. Uh, but yeah, Hiroshima, Hiroshima shadows were were shadows of the people that just were permanently on the ground because the now I either know this from reading which I'll say, yes, I read it in a book or uh, from an anime. Many of the anime films about the bomb that uh, what's sad about it is that it does sound just out of context. There was an episode of Mr. Bean where he blew up a paint can and then left his frame. Yes. Like a guy trying to go reach for his hat and it's on the wall. And that's all I can picture now is that that sounds comedic which makes right. it so much darker because it, you're it, it you is. see this image of a human it, like like at a chalk drawing yeah and uh actually it's very upsetting and and terrible again we're str I'm struggling I'm struggling with trying to keep this lighthearted and <laughs> you know that that's the like I said this is the situation I've got myself into in this podcast because I want to talk about Mr. Bean and how inappropriate it would be <laughs> for you to meet a survivor of Nagasaki and compare <laughs> well, their situation to a Mr. Bean show or maybe an anime that you've seen. And what I'm trying to say is, is it's Kafka-esque okay, for yeah. me to, for the information to enter my head of like, this is the most despicable thing certainly we've ever done to another country. Yes. And it leaves this mark that is, you know, devastating. Right. Then it, it, my it, only context for it is difficult an for of us Bean. to connect with that, with that yes. type of idea. 
Understood. Well, you're three for three, which is great. And for question four, we're going to play for a chore around the house. What is a chore that you have to do? Uh, unpacking these boxes, I assume, is, is Good a big Lord. one. Lord, no, I'm buried under the house. That's what I told my friend. They're like, oh, you're buried under boxes? No, yeah. I'm buried under the house. The house There's itself. too much house stuff. I got to go spackle and paint. Mm, okay. Uh, well, yeah. we'll choose a, a small spackling job. So if you yes. get this wrong, whatever the, the most urgent but small spackling job that you have to do, you'll, that's what you'll have to do when we're done. Um, yeah. And then let me think, what do I have to do? I have a, a load of laundry that needs to get done today. So that's it's a, it's it's the same thing, basically. It's the same thing. Unpacking 30 boxes and lo- <laughs> one load of laundry. I'm burning all the clothes that I'm wearing <laughs> Just start while over. I clean up this house. Just yeah. start They're over. done. It's, you need, no cleaning you've them. got New York clothes. You need Long Island clothes now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wearing a hoodie. Are you going to start pr- some- pronouncing the G in Long Island? Oh, Long now that, Island? Now that sure, you it already there. happened. I, no, I'm going to start wearing Oakleys on the back of my head. Oh, jeez. You need recording some v- to hold videos, to videos from my car. I got it. <laughs> well, question four. Uh, here it is. Why is oleander the official flower of Hiroshima? A, it was the only flower unaffected by the atomic bomb. B, it was the only flower which the bomb destroyed. Or C, it was the first flower to blossom again after the bomb. All right. I think that in the last question, it was too, I don't know. I just feel like the first two are too dark and that they needed some hope. So I'm going to go with C. It's my only explanation. You're four for four. That is the correct answer. C is the most poetic of the three choices. And of course, uh, they saw it that way as well, as Japan is a very poetic society. It was the first flower to blossom again after the bomb. Um, and so you don't have to spackle anything today. You take this Sunday my off wife. on the seventh day, Dan Wilbur rested. <laughs> write, write an email. <laughs> Tell my wife. Yeah, I will. I'll say, uh, it'll be like a permission slip. Dan does not have to do anything today. He worked on a podcast. The thing that you did, your chore for today was getting the internet working. Yeah, that's true. So a mission accomplished the way I see it. Crack open a beer, my friend. I hope we're, I hope, I just so you know, that's not all I did. I know. <laughs> I removed a lot of tile. Oof. Is, is there a lot of reno to do in this house? There's so much. There's just stuff that was left behind. From How old is your house? renovations. 1948. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's that's awesome. My house is only 18 years old. Yeah. So you that's that's, that's great. That's pretty cool. It must. That's what I should have done. Well, you know, it has its own things because they don't build they don't build things as nice as they did in 1948. Like they're not right. as sturdy. So, yeah. Much like these Gen Z people, huh? Yeah. They're going to live in your house is old, old enough to vote. But <laughs> look out. But not built right. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Moving on, Dan Wilbur. You're four for four. Let's keep this going. This one is for all the marbles. If you get it wrong, I'm banning you from the show. You'll never be asked on my podcast again. Here is your question. This is open-ended. As a comedian, what do you look for when you want to laugh? What do you find funny? I mean, honestly, just the darkest things imaginable. So I'm just going to, I've just been holding it back this whole time. Um, I I look for uh you're just asking for any. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I want to know the truth. I want to know. I, what I like makes when you laugh. anyone's murdered in a Coen Brothers film. Uh, 
I really what? like Righteous Gemstones. Oh, Righteous Gemstones is great. It makes me laugh, even though it's a melodrama and there's terrible things happening to these people. I care about them. Lots and of I, lots of full frontal nudity from oh, the yeah. men in that show. It's great. But nothing really goofy. Nothing's goofy. It's a suspense almost. Yeah, um, it is. So so we know TV. What about, do you go out to other comedy shows? Do you see stand-up, yes, improv? Yes, I see lots of stand-up. I would, I've never laughed at improv, so I don't go to that, but it's impressive. That's what I say. Yeah. I go watch it and I'll say, wow, this is that's neat. impressive. <laughs> no, there are very good improvisers. Oh, um, yeah, there are. Absolutely. I did see uh, Chris Gethard once make fun of someone's suggestion, you know, like, let me get a suggestion from the audience. And they said something and then he was like, wow. Uh, <laughs> he did a scene that started with who can say the most obvious thing uh, uh, because someone had yelled out Charlie Sheen right when that, that's how long ago this yeah, was. Yeah. Uh, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen was an improvised scene that was making fun of specifically a person in the audience who was brave enough to volunteer their voice <laughs> to start the scene. And so Gethard. God bless Chris, Geth- Chris Gethard and Will Hines. Um, yeah, improv's cool. <laughs> I changed my mind. Improv's great. All right. Well, we went on a journey on that question, but you did get it right. And so you went five for five. There is a special sound that we play when someone goes, and it's been a long time since someone's gone five for five. Here it is. You did it. Congratulations. There it is. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you can find Dan Wilbur online at danwilbur.com. That's Wilbur with a U-R. And you can follow his great TikTok at Dan. And you can follow his great TikTok at Dan Wilbur Comedy. Uh, is there anything you got coming up that you want to talk about? Uh, I'm opening for Pat Oswalt in uh, in late May in Grand Rapids and Madison, Wisconsin. Very exciting. So if you're in either of those places or if you're just anywhere Patton's going, you should go see him. He's great. He sure is. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yes. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to Josh for the topic and to Dan Wilbur for being my guest. Here's a kid who once dropped two bombs in his pants. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new if the internet says it's true. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Zachariah Hickman and Esther Abrami. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent.